Welcome to this, the eighth episode of Who Needs School with your host, Joe Vollert. Today, my guest is Raphael Wong. Raphael is a graduate of St. Ignatius College Preparatory in San Francisco, and he'll refer to that as SI, class of 1996. Now, Raphael was born in Hong Kong and immigrated to the United States as a five-year-old. He has returned to Hong Kong as a businessman where he currently resides. And today we talk about growing up in San Francisco as an immigrant and what that was like and what it's like to be a, a bilingual student in our educational system. Raphael grew up in the Sunset District in San Francisco, which is in the southwestern portion of the city. He's also an entrepreneur, has started a couple of companies, and he'll speak to that and what students could do and what we as teachers can do to help uh, prepare students for that kind of work. Here's our conversation with Raphael Wong. Well, welcome, Raphael, to Who Needs School. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Where does this uh, interview find you? I'm currently in the metropolitan city of Hong Kong. Gotcha. And I should note for our listeners, I messed up on the time. It's 1230 in the morning, Rayfield's time. So really appreciate you, your flexibility with this. I want to dive right in and I think it'd be really interesting for our listeners to hear about your background. You, you were born in Hong Kong. Both your parents are from Hong Kong and you immigrated to, to San Francisco as a five-year-old. Can you kind of talk about what that experience was like for you? Because I think it resonates with so many um, people, especially in San Francisco, and then how that migrated and, and translated into your school experience. Uh, sure, definitely. That's a great question. So basically, I was born in Hong Kong. And when I reached the age of five, my dad was honest uh, and truthful to know that academia is going to be the number one thing in our family. So I barely knew enough Cantonese or English. And we just traditional story took everything we had and landed in America. And that is the first time I ever knew that there were different ethnicities because mm -hmm. I landed in Brooklyn and I'm like, wow, there's kids, there's Italians I'm playing with, there's African American. And I was like, mom, in Hong Kong, it's very homogenous, mm -hmm. which is just Chinese. So right away, I had to adjust to the crux of things. In terms of the major difference right away, obviously in Hong Kong, the educational system is very hierarchical where the teacher is right and then you just nod your head and it's very rote memorization. So when I got to the US, teachers were asking me questions to participate. I was just like, wow, this is a this is a new Disneyland educational theme park for me. You know, there's I, I oftentimes think we we lose sight of the you know tremendous courage it takes to to make that kind of move for your for your parents i mean that that's their their comfort zone their life and they you know really just uproot you and move you to a whole different uh country and culture when did you guys move to uh, san francisco and walk us through kind of where you went to school and and what that was like as a you know bilingual student sure so basically you know the first thing we wanted to get rooted so my dad made a strategic move. he's actually one of the first of uh, F&B managers at Marriott and Fish and Wharf. And then he was like, we have to have a strategic play, which means community, which also means something that people can speak the same language and food. So we landed in the sunset very early on. And then later on, we went to a holy name for middle school and then SI. So we were right in the middle of the epicenter of sunset, which is very convenient itself. And it was really adjustment was on the food end, very, very seamless because obviously 
40% of Sunset during year, year after year grew. The hardest part, I think, was just really adjusting to the American culture, right? Because I'm actually learning two channels, right? In, at home, I'm speaking Cantonese. I'm watching Hong Kong television. And at school, such as SI, I'm taking four APs. I'm learning about government and politics. Hmm. And these amazing people who are debating while my my dad didn't grow up in you know a very political culture. We don't speak at that at home, so it was a very interesting times in my life. And what were what was it like for like with your parents for you and your sister in terms of education? Was that something that you were kind of le- just left on your own to do, or did your parents really insist that you guys study and, and get a good education? So my parents actually, we, we come from a very hardworking background. I mean, education is, is rooted in the Chinese culture itself for you to succeed. But for my father, uh, because he was exposed to the culture of working at Marriott and being more westernized, he kind of understood that if I wanted something, that I had to definitely fight for it. So for me, he knew that I want, he, the first thing he intro, introduced me to was understanding brand. And one of the reasons why I chose uh, SI is because it is a strong brand, just like he chose Marriott for work. Mm-hmm. So he understood the power of a brand and he understood that, look, education is something that everyone has, but what are the intangibles, right? What are what we call the social capital, meaning in life, uh, especially in Hong Kong, it's not what you know, it's not even who you know, but who knows you. So I think I had a head start in this chess game of not just business, but on a strategic thinking level, because he understood like, hey, son, you know, hey, everyone's going to go to SI, what's going to give you the edge? So for him, he's like, look, you got to you gotta know that people people move move the needle in, in life. Mm-hmm. And, and just to pivot on that comment and your experience a bit, what should uh, a school like St. Ignatius, a high school, secondary school, what should we be doing to better understand and connect with a student like you from your background and experience? Because that's an ongoing narrative, right? Where we have an immigrants in San Francisco going to school. That's an important transition into American society. Any thoughts on that and what we could do be thinking about or do better? Well, I think that right now, currently, most schools, you know, when I was, went to SI, we have things that are, you know, very Asian American centric. I think the most important thing is to understand that as long as there is some kind of effective movement and kind of understand what we call a very clear point of view of what people go through in terms of coming as an immigrant, that is a very, you know, th- that's a very good exploration already. So I think even when high schools have different celebrations for Asian food, it is a very easy channel for someone to understand another culture. So it's, it could be high schools featuring a certain school day that talks about food, and then slowly it really talks about it, uh, more about the different cultures and heritage. because. Asia itself is just very, very big. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating. A lot of times when we talk about trying to explore other cultures, the entree, no pun intended, is is food, right? That's a, it's a, a nice segue into understanding and appreciating a culture because there are differences in our, in our traditions around food. That's very interesting. I think something to add to that is also how educators, I think, you know, amazing teachers, but I think also right now, 
is to know the relevancy of Asia. For example, is you know like K-pop is really hot, right? K-pop is hot, and a lot of these things is when teachers teach how people are very hungry for relevancy. Like for example, if I'm learning government, I want to digest this. But if I learn this, how does it relate to my passion for K-pop? How does it relate to if I want to go to Hollywood one day and be the next American Idol? So I think that relevancy as a whole and holistic thinking、uh, really helps in terms of the spur the curiosity level. Okay, I'm going to show my age and ignorance here,、uh, can, and perhaps for our audience too.、Uh, K-pop, explain. Well, K-pop is actually a, a very specific genre of music, and it's very systematic. So basically, K-pop has usually different amounts of. Imagine the Beatles, but they're Asian. They have four four stars, and each four stars has a different character that will strategically hit the tones of someone. So someone yeah, likes. Uh, you know, a, a tall, curious person that likes anime. Okay, that's Bill. So they're very strategic in producing a lot of these groups, and then they're going to keep on producing. And it's a phenomenon because the language is not the main thing. Is that they simplify the song so that one sentence is an English sentence and everyone can sing to it.、Gotcha. So by all means, it's a phenomenon because itself, it's it's a happy kind of genre. Gotcha. And it sounds like it it infuses some English in a, in American culture into the into the lyrics and music. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, the other thing I wanted to explore with you is just your your business experience. I know that you've. I hope you could speak to this a bit. You've started up a couple of companies, and just would love to kind of get your perspective on what you've done, and then what are the intangible and tangible skills needed to do something like that. Uh, sure. I think that the most important thing for your viewers is to share that anything you want to learn in life is、uh, what I call an elevator versus a stairway approach. So you know, walking the walking the stairs, you're proactive. Elevator, you're waiting for the opportunities. So what I did after I went to SI and then Berkeley, which I knew were very academic, I knew that I need to get skill based. So. Me and my partner, who is Brian Kwan, SI class, I think of ninety nine, started a book called Business Puberty. So we cold call Asian American entrepreneurs and humbly said, Martin Yang, Yang Ken Cook, I don't know anything about entrepreneurship. Give me thirty minutes for mentorship, and surprisingly, it actually worked. So Martin Yang, Yang Ken Cook, one of the first Asian American celebrity chefs, I got thirty minutes of mentorship. To be in his office, and that's where he deep dove about the intangibles about being an entrepreneur. So to highlight three of them is number one is the art of persuasion. Right, you're always going to be selling. No one、mm-hmm. believes in you. You don't have a brand. You don't have, you know, all the money backing. How are you going to sell yourself? Right. Number two, the intangible is grit. Right. Out of a hundred times, ninety eight doors are going to get slammed. How are you going to get it? And last but not least, I mentored a lot of people. I said that this is the most important thing. Is to not take things personally, and if you look across the board, especially amongst the youth, teenager and above, even to adulthood, is that not taking something personally is an art and is a skill. So, through interviewing all these entrepreneurs, especially the Asian Americans, I really learned that these are the things I'm missing. I have the academics. What are these things? So it was a very exciting time. Martin Yang. 
and also interviewed the owner of Panda Express, which is Andrew Chern. Sure. Uh, and thanks to them, they gave me a lot of, like you mentioned, intangibles I would have never gotten from a book. Raphael Wong uh, 101. I was uh, going to school. Yeah, Raphael Wong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's awesome. Those must have been fascinating conversations. And so how did you, so I, I'm sure you digested that. Can you talk about the experience of starting a company? I know that you've you started Professor Savings, for example, if you want to speak to that or any of the other ones you started. Uh, yeah. So one of the you know, we, anything starting a company, we wanted to start with a big pain point. And it was more of a, of a social impact initiative. And just doing the research, only about 15% of uh, Americans were financially literate. It wasn't taught in schools for whatever reasons, in general, across all America, right? America has 5,200 universities. It wasn't high emphasis. So we created a YouTube channel that we have 250 videos uh, that uses a scribbling board that tries to dissect and teach the finance of basics in a very simple and plain manner in two minutes or less. And yeah, we've been able to grow to a couple hundred organic views, a couple hundred thousand. And uh, we learned a lot during that process. And it, it is never easy being an entrepreneur uh, without that steady patient. Indeed. Yeah, I've, I've checked out a couple of them there, and I, I, I highly uh, recommend them and, and commend you for, for doing that. Do you still produce... Are you still producing um, episodes for that? No, that, that actually is passive income for us. So it just keeps on running as it goes and it just accumulates into a snowball effect. And then, but definitely, I think that people who understand uh, the depths of being a entrepreneur, it's a uh, great, it's definitely important, but also being very uh, data, data centric as well. Yeah. So let me, let me peel that back a little bit and again, point back to schools and your educational experience. So having done that, if you could flash back 25 years into high school, what, what, could, what should uh, we be doing and what could we have done then to prepare you for now? And obviously that's a question for today. What should we be doing now to prepare students for the, the world of tomorrow? Yeah, so I think that, you know, after graduating and having a few corporate jobs, I've also worked for culinary, California Culinary School and also DeVry. And what I learned is that a part of us, I think about 40% of people love applied learning. So at the teachers at SI, I understand a teacher's curriculum. So if you break it down, if they have 100 hours of prep lessons and you break it down to like a Pareto principle, 80-20, I think that 20% is very a good threshold to emphasize on something that is more of a applied learning. So for example, this falls into resume preparation, interview preparation, how to get a job. And all this is very relevant and it keeps the curiosity. And because right now with the new, just the youth and all that, they're watching TikTok, they're watching YouTube. So currency, attention is the new currency, right? I know as, as, as a teacher, I'm just telling you, I tell this all the time. Time is a commodity you cannot buy. And attention is the new currency. So if I'm a teacher, I'm going to teach 80 minutes, uh, 100 minutes, I'm going to make sure that I grab the attention right away. I think another thing that I also, uh, as a public speaker, uh, share with my teacher friends is that when they teach a lesson, let's say that I start off teaching about history, I think that students might appreciate it, the format to be somewhat like a like a YouTube uh, format, right? Like, hey guys, we're gonna start the lesson. It's gonna be like 30 minutes. 
worth learning about history. And these are the three takeaways. Pay attention. Stay tuned for that. I think that that's also a very creative format as opposed to me going to class, not knowing why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. Because that why is what really gets people's attention in terms of learning. Yeah, that's a great a, a great insight. And certainly, you know, our students today are going to TikTok and YouTube to learn things, right? That's where yeah, you know, exactly. they're, they're learning. It just may not be in a in a traditional classroom. Another question I wanted to ask you was you, you currently live and work in Hong Kong. What's that what's that like? How did you get those that's the skill and the grit to, you know, really to move back to Hong Kong? And what's that like for you right now? Yeah, so that's a common question that people ask. I think I think that at a certain time after about 10 years of corporate America, I just looked at the numbers and knew that I, I don't know a lot about this China country that is supposed to be the, the, the next world power. And my dad honestly just says that you need to take a look, right? So it was curiosity, but also I let people know is that it is very relieving because no one knows you, right? Like, you know, in, in sunset, I'm like, oh, who, oh my gosh, am I going to run into the, you know, the captain or you know, Justin Roja, right? Mr. Volleyball captain. I don't have to worry about anything. You know, it's, it's a, also a freeing experience for you to kind of declutter everything you thought you knew about life and start over. So this adventure in itself is what I loved and learned. And uh, again, you're just going to, I got kicked in the face because as American, I came back, you know, I'm, I gave up business cards and people like, no, 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 no. When you give up business card, you know, you, you tilt your head with respect. You look at the card, you don't throw it around like a Frisbee. So hmm. what I learned is that a lot of the social norms were missing. And if you ask me uh, about that, that's, those are the things in terms of business, right? The social norms. And I was completely a mess uh, my first few months landing in Hong Kong. Maybe that's your next set of videos is how do how does an American businessman learn the the culture in Hong Kong and in China to do business, right? Yeah, uh, that, that's a, actually a big uh, that's a big big selling point. Yeah. Hey, yeah, um, so uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, no, so, so to answer that, it's just that breath of curiosity, and also you know, it, it's a, a, the, the learning curve was just exciting. It's it's just an adventure. So that's right. why I, I came back. All right. How about anything I haven't asked you about? You know, knowing what you know and doing what you do, what should we be doing? What should I ask you about? Uh, I think that something to share is that what I got out of a lot of life is that, especially at Berkeley and sometimes speaking to my teachers at SI, is that I really encourage a lot of students to really, not to the extent like take their teachers out to lunch, but I feel like when I really was proactive to take my UC Berkeley professors and teachers out to lunch. Wow, it was a whole new ball game. They're willing to share, they're willing to open up, you know. So I think that that's one of the tips, if anything, I want to give to a lot of people. And that's something that I really, really, I think has, has put me with that personal relationship with people. That's just a point I want to share because I think a lot of people, you know, miss out on optimizing on the great people that are in their education system. Uh, and when you have lunch with them, they're willing to share your Rolodex. They want to get to know you. And in, in, in a way, they want to give back. But no one's showing up at their office hours. And, but I did. So I think that that's one thing that I wanted to share with your, with your listeners. Uh, well, that's great. I mean, the, 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 the real theme there is that your education is not a passive experience. It's active. And you're Absolutely. very proactive, meeting with your professors, 
reaching out to these Asian American entrepreneurs and, and learning from them. It really speaks to um, that verve that you have for for learning and, and for innovation. Well, this is uh, Ray Phil. I could not be more grateful for your time. It's uh, fascinating to connect with you. I, I appreciate the uh, early morning hours on your end and for taking the time to share your experience and perspective. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this process. All right. Thank you, Rayfield. You're welcome. Thank you for joining this episode of Who Needs School? I just wanted to highlight something that Rayfield talked about. Is he talked about the attention being the new currency. He also really touched upon the currency of relationships. And if there's anything I've learned in my 30 plus years in education for, especially for young people to know and to learn is to really get to know people. Life is so short and we have these opportunities to get to know people. And I don't know that we always do that on a deeper level. There's a real currency to relationships. And I would encourage students and adults alike, don't just be in a superficial conversation, ask good questions, get to know people. They're fascinating. And there's so many people on this planet to get to know. Life is short and it's an adventure. Take advantage of it. Thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions on future speakers, please feel free to contact me via LinkedIn or joevollert at gmail.com. Thank you.